Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Last month, reporter Ryan Levy and Bay Curious listener Jennifer Jacobs went to somebody's 200th birthday party in San Francisco. Many of the guests were wearing interesting clothing, but there was one guy who definitely stood out. Looks like a military uniform on, all kinds of medals, and then amazing feathers coming out of this huge hat. Lots of peacock feathers and multicolored feathers. And he looks like, you know, maybe something like what the emperor could look like. Want to go, should we go try and chat with him? Just, you know, why not? Do you mind introducing yourself for us? I'm Norton I, emperor of the United States and protector of Mexico. I'm Olivia Allen Price, joined this week by reporter Ryan Levy. Hey, hey. And this is Bay Curious, where each week we answer a question about the Bay Area submitted by someone from our audience. This week, we celebrate one of San Francisco's greatest characters, Emperor Norton. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. So, Ryan, you went to this birthday bash with one of our listeners, right? I did. I went to Emperor Norton's 200th birthday party uh, with Jennifer Jacobs. She's a speech pathologist who works and lives in Oakland. Well, I first moved out here from Michigan in 1999, and I went on a city tour. That was when she first heard about one of the city's most notable eccentrics, Emperor Norton. And I was just like, wow, this is this is just a whole other world. They have their own emperor here in San Francisco. And it just made me very curious to learn more about this person and why he was still uh, so well known in the area. We might as well start at the very beginning. 
The details about Joshua Norton's young life are, are very, very scant. John Lumia has spent the last five years of his life trying to learn and share as much as he can about Joshua Norton, the man who would eventually become emperor. Okay, so he is born in 1818 in present-day London, but he doesn't live there very long. At age two, he's taken aboard a ship. The Belle Alliance. And moves to South Africa with his family. And that's where Joshua Norton spends his whole early childhood and young adulthood. Norton's dad sets up a solid business in Cape Town selling ship supplies. And when Joshua is 21, his dad helps him open his own business. But within 18 months, the business is totally bankrupt. After his business fails, both of his parents die. By 1848... Joshua has uh, no parents. Uh, His older sibling, uh, Louis, also has died. His uh, next younger uh, brother, uh, Philip, also has died. And so he really has nothing that is connecting him to South Africa. Which brings us, and Norton, to San Francisco in 1849. Norton arrives here by ship at the beginning of the gold rush, and he finds a lawless, Wild West kind of town. It's it's a pretty messy place. The population explodes from a few hundred people in 1848 to 25,000 by the end of 1849. And it's mostly men who are coming. They outnumber women by as much as 70 to 1 by some accounts. Fortunes are quickly being made and lost. Gambling and prostitution are widespread. Fires routinely destroy hastily built wooden neighborhoods. This is the San Francisco Joshua Norton comes to. Of course, you know, the gold rush is happening, uh, but his interest is, is really not in panning for gold. He is going to be a commodities guy. Norton starts selling rice, flour, and tobacco. Pretty quickly, he's made enough money to start dabbling in real estate, too. He buys a few buildings in the heart of the city. He's got three corners. He's got an office building on one corner. He's got a rice mill in another corner. He's got a cigar factory on the third corner. And on the opposite corner, the fourth corner, is the customs house. So if you're in international trade, not a bad location. Life is good. Norton lives in a nice home, and he hangs out with a social elite. Then he plans his next business move. There is a rice uh, famine going on in China, and so so he sees this as an opportunity to uh, make a lot of money. Expecting a rice shortage, Norton goes in with a couple of business partners and stakes $25,000 on a shipload of Peruvian rice. It's a gamble, but they expect rice prices to soar. But just days after inking the deal, ship after ship after ship of rice come in. And so the bottom falls out of the market. And and this this idea, which at one point seemed so great, uh, now isn't so great. Norton's business partners abandon him. He spends the next three years in courtrooms trying to salvage something of his investment. But at age 38, for the second time in his life, Norton is bankrupt. Then the story of Joshua Norton goes dark. He moves out of his fancy digs and falls out of favor with the social elite. There are a few signs he tries to restart his business, but to no success. Then, on the morning of September 17, 1859, when Norton is 41 years old, he does something that will change his life forever. He walks into the offices of the San Francisco Evening Bulletin to deliver a notice he wants published in the newspaper. At the preemptory request of a large majority of the citizens of these United States... I, Joshua Norton, formerly... He has a serious look on his face as the editor looks over his note. Declare and proclaim myself emperor of these United States. Norton has re-emerged, and he's now calling himself the emperor 
of the United States. Which sounds kind of crazy. Our question asker Jennifer studied psychology in college, and this transformation is one of the things that, that really hooked her about Norton. I couldn't help thinking, you know, he must have had some kind of a nervous breakdown or, you know, something happened in those few years, you know, because I was thinking schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, maybe. There are no sure answers about his mental health, but some people think his money troubles led him into a deep depression. Becoming Emperor Norton could have been a sort of coping mechanism. There's a sense in which in which the persona of the emperor uh, actually saved him in a way, uh, which I think is a, is a really interesting thing to contemplate. After his first proclamation, Norton calls on everyone interested in building his empire to assemble the following February. The day comes, the media makes great hay, you know, and, and they make a whole big deal about, hey, everybody come to the, to the meeting and, you know, pack your picnic lunch. But of course, nobody shows up. But that doesn't stop Norton. He issues more proclamations, abolishing the United States Congress and dismissing the Supreme Court. He's at the beginning of a 20-year reign where his constant newspaper proclamations and kooky antics make him one of San Francisco's most famous residents. Emperor Norton becomes almost a synonym for crazy, wacky, loony. He certainly dresses the part. He wears a blue military officer's jacket. He has these very large, sort of oversized gold epaulets that he wears uh, sort of on his shoulders. There is a, a top hat that he wears that has a, a big, uh, what they call a, a cockade, uh, sort of feathers uh, sort of pinned to the front. It's very dramatic. Norton spends his days reading the newspapers and talking with his imperial subjects on the streets. At this point, he's mostly living off the generosity of the public and the financial support of a few old friends from his high society days. And he really makes himself part of the life of the city. He goes to political meetings. He goes to the theater. He goes to the saloons. He makes himself this sort of public presence. He's in the streets. All the while writing and publishing his imperial proclamations, hundreds of them. They range from great affairs of state. There shall be no further elections for presidents until the nation can have a national convention. Two more personal matters, like the skating rink superintendent who won't let him use a pair of roller skates. And whereas great aches from little toe corns grow, and to prevent other acts... Some newspaper editors start to poke fun at his proclamations. So in 1870, he starts publishing them almost exclusively in an African-American owned and operated abolitionist weekly. He's talking about how African-Americans should have the right to attend public schools and ride public streetcars. Uh, how the Chinese uh, should be able to have their testimony heard in court. He really is making himself into an early champion of the values of fairness and tolerance and the common good uh, that really later become a, a great symbol of San Francisco. How many of these progressive proclamations are actually being read by people in power is unclear. What is clear is that Norton is a major force in San Francisco. The city uses him as a tourist attraction. Theaters reserve him seats on opening night in hopes of creating buzz around their show. The police salute him on the street. It's January 8, 1880. Emperor Norton is on his way to a monthly debate at the Academy of Natural Sciences. And uh, it's a rainy, uh, sort of cold uh, night. It's only a few blocks walk from his boarding house to the debate. He's making his way up this very steep hill, and he gets to the top... And he just basically collapses. The reports uh, are that he has died of, of sanguinous apoplexy, which basically means a stroke. A headline in the San Francisco Chronicle reads, Lurah et Mor, the king is dead. 10,000 people come to his funeral. 
and, and no doubt some are there purely for the fascination. Uh, but there are these people who were genuinely uh, sad and, and telling all these stories about how kind he was to them in the streets and, and how kind he was to children and, and how he always just had a, had, a, had, a, had a gentle word for everyone. Norton is buried in a fancy rosewood coffin adorned with silver, something much nicer than he could afford. It's a burial fit for an emperor. Ryan, what do you think it is about this man that has made him live on and have people still celebrating him today? I think it's he's a symbol for people of what they what they see as the best of the Bay Area. He was a kind man, uh, an advocate for tolerance and fairness, and he was pretty weird, too. And this, of course, came from a question asker, Jennifer Jacobs. What did she make of what you two found about Norton? She was amazed that he's still remembered and loved and revered all these years later. Uh, And she said she couldn't think of another place in the world where it could happen other than here. But, you know, San Francisco, you know, kind of a quirky town in a lot of ways. And he kind of embodies that. Ryan Levy, thank you so much for bringing us the story of Emperor Norton. Anytime. And thanks to listener Jennifer Jacobs for her question. To see pictures of Emperor Norton and read more of his proclamations, check out our website, baycurious.org. Bay Curious is made by Jessica Placek, Paul Lancor, Susie Racho, Ryan Levy, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Thanks also to Erica Kelly, Julia McAvoy, Ethan Lindsay, Amanda Font, Howard Gelman, Katie McMurrin, and Penny Nelson. Vice President for News is Holly Kernan. Our show is made in San Francisco at KQED. I'm Olivia Allen Price. See you next time. Leroy est mort. Dang it. I should have taken French. <laughs> Just for this moment. I took way too much Latin. Lura amor. A more? I didn't hear A. Lura amor. A headline in the San Francisco Chronicle reads Lura amor. The king is dead. <laughs> Why are you all laughing? I'm sorry. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.